welcome to Curious EMU, where we talk inspiring stories, ideas, and concepts to help you create a lifestyle true to yourself. Hello and welcome to episode 43. My name is Freddie Saliba and this is Curious EMU. I hope you guys are staying safe in this current situation. In Australia, they've reduced the restrictions a little bit so we can see people. And in a few weeks, I'm looking to move in with my friends out a bit of town where they've got some horses. They're making some tiny houses, gardens, things like that. So I'm pretty excited to get down there and get out of the city a little bit. Where are you guys? What's it like for you? Is there stuff you're enjoying and making the most of for me? I'm getting pretty productive the last week has been a little down, but, you know, that's okay. <laughs> have been going full steam ahead, so I needed a bit of a break and kind of reevaluate where everything's going, which happens. And I feel like definitely in this pandemic times, you know, you go up on and down each day and starting to learn to be okay with that. And as we reach through it, we'll get easier, I hope. <laughs> as everything starts to go to a, as they say, new normal, and we figure out what's next, I guess. Anyway, so this episode, I've got Colin Clapp in, and we talk about his journey into becoming a digital nomad family. Yeah, quite an interesting story he has, but let's jump right in. Let's do it! See you on the flip side, guys. Okay, guys. So, originally from UK... Colin and his partner and daughter were living in beautiful New Zealand until about 2017, until they decided to sell a lot of their stuff, go very minimalistic and jet it off around the world, becoming digital nomads. Really been traveling around ever since with a little bit of time where they went back to New Zealand to have their second daughter and then went again. So welcome, Colin. Thank you for joining me. Really excited to get through and talk about your interesting journey. Thanks, Freddie. So you're currently in France, was that correct? Yeah, correct. We're in rural France. I can't even pronounce exactly where we are. We're in, the nearest main town is Poitiers. Um, oh, my gosh, yeah. Which I think is about, it was a 90-minute fast train ride south of Paris and then another 45 minutes car ride into the middle of nowhere. We're in a small hamlet of five houses so there's no village, it's just five houses. I think three of them are occupied, uh, all by French people and yeah we're we're a New Zealand family living in a French house owned by a retired British couple who are in Australia ironically uh, in your part of the world. They're actually looking after a sick relative, so a young sick ah, uh, relative. Yeah. So, but they've made us extremely welcome in the house. We've got two acres of garden to look after. It's springtime, so you can kind of imagine the, there's lots of jobs to be done, and the, and and the girls are just um, yeah, just enjoying the vast expanse because. Um, so quickly, quickly filling some gaps. We've, our entire three-year digital nomad family journey has all been in Southeast Asia until just a month ago, six to eight weeks ago. And we did have plans to come to Europe in 2020. We were thinking it would be a bit later on in the year. And it was all very serendipitous that we managed to get out of Southeast Asia a week before the world just went crazy. And literally, it was like lady luck just shined on us because we arrived in time to just go do a bit of shopping, get some, I'm wearing a sweatshirt, which I've worn for like four years, get some warm clothes and get some mobile phone connections, although it's turned out we probably didn't need that. (laughs) And then the world went crazy. I'm not too sure. I know you've done a lot of traveling around South America. Have you done much traveling around Southeast Asia? None. That was the plan for later than in the year, but who knows what's happening now with that yeah. uh, <laughs> but francoise actually did an exchange when i was 16 for six months actually quite near poitiers which is quite funny so yeah. a really small town yeah, okay. near there um so how's your french honestly very rusty because i mean i 
I understand pretty much everything, but because I've been living in Chile and traveling around South America, my Spanish is on point and I just, I go to speak French and Spanish just comes out, <laughs> which is ridiculous. I'm like, no, this is French. No, this is not French. This is still Spanish. Uh, <laughs> but I'll sit there, you know, I've been watching a lot of TV shows and things in French and understand everything. So... Oh, good for you. There we go. It's interesting. I think as soon as if I went back, you know, a couple of weeks, I'll be fine. But do you guys have much French? No, unpuh, unpuh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we were all very enthusiastic before we came. We were, you know, you can imagine this. We were in a, uh, we we're in the Philippines, and we've got a French radio station playing because we wanted to listen to French and. Being brought up in the UK, I had some exposure to France, so I there was some vocabulary in my head, but I never learned it as a kid. I, I was taught it as a kid, but I never learned it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I always felt if we could immerse ourselves into a country like France or Spain, I would have a crack at it. So there's an enthusiasm and a willingness but with the lockdown, suddenly, you know, the first few days we were like out with our phrase book and in restaurants trying French and all. And, the, and, and hats off to my eldest. How old is she now? She's six. But she first got into French when she was three. Wow. And that was very coincidental. You know, we really sort of sat up and noticed this because it was in Bali, of all places. We were in Bali, and I don't know if you know this, but Bali's actually got quite a lot of French-speaking people, and we had no idea. And she befriended uh, a neighbour who was French, and, of course, whenever we meet anyone who's French, I, my vocabulary just pops out. So I, I don't have any... I can't string sentences together or anything like that, but I, my vocabulary's there. I sort of know some nouns, verbs, and that sort of thing. And I enjoy that coming out. It just sort of comes out from decades ago and, and I rolled with it and so we introduced my daughter she would have been four so I take that back she would have been four and that is the only time we've given her access to any electronics so I threw Duolingo onto the iPad pulled up French and let her have a go at it and she responded and she every now and then she would do it and we unschool our children so it's very child-led so there's there's never any forcing her to do anything if she says she wants to do French or Duolingo, and the, and the time's right, we we facilitate that. So it was very ad hoc. It was only occasional, but she would love it, and she would there she would be like you know pinging away a little French, you know trying a little French things, and um, very cool. And we were just we just felt amazed that we like we got an unschooled four year old is just having a crack at French while she's in Bali. And it's serendipitous how we ended up in France. But as soon as we knew we were coming, we found this French internet radio station and she wanted it on all the time. And, so and then cool. Duolingo came out a bit more. And, and ironically, she hasn't really used Duolingo since we've been in France. You know, in the week when we were allowed to be in restaurants and stuff like that, you know, she was looking at the menu and she was reading the road signs. And, you know, she knows we've got Google Translate on our phones and her and I have been to a little library literally just a few days before everything locked down. We went to a little library uh, that's only open two days a week and pulled out a bunch of French books. And the lady said we could take them away. And so we've got a few little children's books. And I'm not saying we're studying them, but there's definitely um, there's no there's no lack of uh, there's no friction around any of us having a crack at it. It's just we've lost our immersion through the through the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, definitely. At least, as you said, you're in beautiful, beautiful part of France. And <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. I mean, off on the side, we are totally blessed, Freddie. I can't really show you, but if you look out of our window, it's just rolling countryside as far as the eye can see out one direction. And you're able to go out a little bit at all? Similar rules to other countries, sort of, you know, fill out your paperwork, although there's apps for this sort of thing now. Um, but yeah, only going out for essential services, which is the supermarket for us. Okay, yeah. And you can go out and exercise, including exercise the pet. But we've got land around us, so we, we don't Perfect. really need to go out to exercise the pet. The dog just goes wild in the back, and, and we, we're, 
We're surrounded by, yeah. But you've got that size that you can use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If this had happened while we were still in Asia and we were living in, you know, like in a small Airbnb apartment, you know, with limited cooking facilities and those sorts of things. Oh, yeah. I'm not too sure how well we would have coped as a family. I mean, our children are full on. I'm sure everyone's children are full on. But but having a nice big house that we can spread out in and, I mean, we're minimalist, but, you know, you can see behind me there's a bookshelf. You know, the house is not child-friendly, but the owners are extremely child-friendly and they've said, look, we want you to be in our house and we want you to live in our house while we're away. Like the client just sort of said, look, we understand that you're going to move things around and the kids, you know, and which they said, when we get back, we'll just have fun putting things back. And I thought, what a fantastic attitude. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Um, so many people are so precious about their houses and belongings and, and possessions. And this house is full of stuff. They got a lot of stuff, but it was their attitude towards their stuff that I found very refreshing. They're like, it just is what it is. They've got a big barn outside and they've said, look, just poke around in there if you find anything that the kids can play with. So like I found a little scaffolding that I could put up and I turned it into a climbing frame and our youngest daughter fell into a horse trough. So we emptied the horse trough and turned it into a bath. And, you know, so you can imagine if this had happened in Asia, we wouldn't have any of this sort of fun thing to do so um someone was looking after us the owners have made us very welcome obviously i don't know what the border situation is in your home country but if they can't get out then we could potentially be here longer than the, the three months we're about halfway through that okay It'd be nice to go back to, I guess, the start of your journey as a digital nomad family. So in New Zealand, whereabouts in New Zealand are you guys from? Ellie's originally from uh, Gisborne in the North Island. Gisborne's famous for being the first major city that sees the sunrise. Ah, there you go. I know the town, but... It's the most eastern point of New Zealand, so it is forgetting all the... Uh, Pacific Islands, it is the first sort of major town city that sees the sunrise, and they're quite proud of that. So she's originally from there, but her and I, our lives crossed in Christchurch back in 2012 after the earthquakes, and we've been together yeah, since sometime in 2012. Neither of us actually know when our anniversary is. <laughs> that's, a, that's a better way, uh, better than one remembering. And <laughs> Yeah. Just makes, good good. Ma- make yeah. it up every yeah. year. Just go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what we do. Yeah, that's that's, uh, yeah, nice. that's kind of what we do. Going back to your question, I guess back then, Ellie's a health and fitness professional. She was one-to-one coaching and group fitness classes and boot camps and all those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, doing the networking thing, trying to grow a business and, and doing quite well. I was a business coach at the time, uh, had some regular clients and all was going well. We came together and decided we wanted to have children straight away. I'm a bit older, as you can see by the, you know, where would you get a haircut these days, Freddie? You look like you don't want one. I would definitely like one. And, and for the, <laughs> the dread. And for those li- yeah, for those listening <laughs> in the future, that's COVID nineteen reference where you know you can't get out to get your haircut. So, um, but you still can hear. I don't understand. I'm sorry. Oh, right. Maybe yeah. a bit of a. I don't know. Well, how is this apparently essential in Australia? But anyway, moving on. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. <laughs> anyway, so. We, uh, we, we became parents quite quickly in our journey. In the immediate year after we became parents, Ellie, uh, to her massive credit, sat down and wrote a book. You know, in between those moments of babies screaming for attention and, and those sorts of things, and she was amazing. She would just sit at the kitchen table and scribble out paragraph after paragraph, chapter after chapter. And we got to the end of the year and she had a book and... There was a huge learning curve, you know, um, never done anything. So the title was The Holistic Guide to Burning Fat for Good. And, oh, uh, yes, so, yes, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, and so it comes at health and fitness from a very holistic way. She's very natural. So her original title was The Natural Balance Guide. So that was her brand, Natural Balance. 
And if you meet her, she's just a very down-to-earth, very natural. Everything her, about her is natural. She's very in tune with the environment and those sorts of things. So, you know, fads and fixes are not her thing. You can be your best and healthiest self from within, constantly nurturing that side of her technical knowledge of the body and health and it's and i love it you know i feel very blessed that i have my partner you know she's turned into the family doctor and because we never need to go to the doctor because she's she just keeps us naturally well so cool so she she wrote this book but you know neither of us had much experience in the way of well, what what the hell do you do with a book how do you sell it how do you market it and all those sorts of things and I have got some speaking experience and so I had networks that could tap into speakers who have launched books. But you know what it's like. Once you start learning, and we're lifelong learners now, I have been for a number of years long before we met, but the more you learn, the more you feel you need to learn. And, you know, there's, you know, you know, okay, so oh, I want to write a book, then I want to publish a book, now I want to launch a book, now I want to market a book, now I want to sell more books. I mean, it's just it's just never ending. How do you make the breakthroughs? It's just relentless. There's never easy answers. you just got to knuckle down and do the work. And exactly. We did what we could at the time, and she had a mini book launch, and we got about 60 to 80 people in a room. And, and I was so proud of her, and, and she did her best to sell the book. But yeah, it's a classic problem. You know, back then you print them off and they end up sitting in your garage because you don't know how to get them out there to the world. And we were determined not to have the garage full of books. So, you know, we only had a small print run. And then as soon as you publish the book, you realize how hard it is to market and sell the book. We both had websites, but not really, you know, we didn't know much about websites. We'd had other people built them. And then we had an opportunity come our way we thought we had an opportunity to come our way. We did a little bit of due diligence. Uh, we thought we'd done enough. We went off on tangent because we were looking for something that would leverage and scale because you couldn't, we didn't feel we could leverage and scale coaching businesses. I've always, I've always known that, but I've never known quite how I would do it. Anyway, an opportunity came to invest in an online organic fruit and veg business, and I could see how the owner he just was not leveraging his time i have a systems background management background so i could see straight away that this was a scalable business that it just needed systems and a different approach and i I felt i could offer that and and we felt like with, with ellie working from home she could offer some customer service you know she could be doing social media and sort of backup it just seemed like a really nice triangular fit with the existing owner was passionate about it had got a lot of runs on the board so i went to work on scaling it building systems uh we tried to release the owner anyway to cut a long story short we systemized it in three months and we were quite proud of that in other words very cool we'd found a way that we could build strong enough relationships with the producers and then we found a logistics company that bought into what we were trying to do and we, within three months, I'd got enough systems in place that I could get the goods out of the ground via the logistics company and out to our customers without us touching any of it, all through systems. And I was like, wow, this is, this, you know, people are getting their credit cards out, buying the, 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 the groceries while we were asleep, and then we're going up and processing the orders. And, like, you could see how this could work, but... <laughs> We couldn't drive the sales to pay for the scalability, and that was a mistake. In other words, we proved the concept of making something scalable, but we didn't have enough demand to fund what we built. So like not the right market sort of thing? Yeah, maybe New Zealand was too small. Our, relation, uh, our relationship with the existing owner our expectations went disastrously wrong and he exited stage left really quickly when we discovered. Ellie and I were like, well, our expectations of that have, have fallen, but we're like, no, we're going to give this a go. We felt like, you know, we, we had an opportunity here and we're going to give it everything, but we gave it everything and we could not make it work and we lost a lot of money. Um, call it naivety, call it... Um, you know, we're not risk averse. We were willing to risk. Did we risk too much? Who knows? But now it's just part of our story. We ended up losing our houses. We had two houses. We lost them both to, to try and make it work. And we burned out. We went to a dark place. I, I'm a very optimistic, positive person. And uh, this was a period of my life where 
I didn't understand what burnout was until this happened. You know, I can remember the day when it was enough was enough. It was a dark day. I literally walked out the house in a haze, walked into a forest, didn't know whether I was coming back. Didn't, I did have my phone with me, but I, I didn't say goodbye to the girls or anything. I just walked into this forest not knowing what I was going to do, how I was going to bounce back from this and, and just walked, knew, just kept walking. I knew I'd hit the beach at some point. And I hit the beach and the sun went down and I just, it was like a zombie staring at the sun going down and the moon coming up and my brain not being capable of landing on any rational thought. What, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this? But yeah, I couldn't, I was a mess. I was in a place that I've never been before. Been before. I had a toolkit to bounce back from, but at that moment in time, I didn't know that. All I knew was things were different. You know, the business was over, the adventure was over, but what that meant, I didn't have a clue. And I I walked back into the house after the girls had gone to bed. I just sort of snuck inside Ellie and woke up in the morning and said, yeah, I'm done, that's it. We'll just, you know, we'll trade to the end of the month, fulfil our orders, but, you know, enough's enough, we, we've got to go. And Ellie turned around to me and said, well, we've got to trade to the end of the month. Let's just stop. You know, we were losing money. We were paying our customers to be in business. Let's just stop. And I sort of think, she's right. Let's, let's stop. And we just stopped overnight. We fulfilled the orders of the day. The, they were weekly orders. I think I woke up on a Sunday. We processed orders on a Sunday. And then we went to all our suppliers and said, sorry, we're out. We said we will pay everyone. We'll find a way to pay everyone. Just bear with us. And we did. But what that meant was... We really had nothing and we had no way of funding our existing life. I'd lost my coaching clients as by jumping in. So our income streams had dried up. Our debts were piling up and we were like, no, we need to rent the house out. Uh, we'd already sold one house to try and stay in the game. And so, again, at, at the risk of going on too long, we... We were in a dark place. We were both burnt out. We had one daughter, three and a half at that time, or three. And at that moment in time, all we decided was the only thing we were going to do was not decide anything. We would just rent out our house. It's a decision in itself rather than stressing yourself out. And We knew we could go and stay with Ellie's family in the North Island, so we rented our house out, packed up our house, or rented a one-way trailer, and headed to the North Island and just said to ourselves, no decisions. It was coming up for the summer in New Zealand. We knew we could stay with her mum for an extended period without being put under any pressure. The house was big enough that we wouldn't all struggle on that front. And we just bought ourselves time to not make any decisions. And, you know, obviously we had bills to pay. We had to wrap up a lot of loose ends. And those loose ends lasted a lot, you know, they lasted a lot longer than the three months. But the three months was enough time to just buy us time to be you know listeners we weren't trying to be anything we were just trying to be and that just meant you know being present and remembering what it was like to laugh and joke and be with each other and be happy because we'd forgotten how to be happy we were so wrapped up in trying to make the business work and it not working and working 24 7 to be successful and it hadn't worked you know we'd lost our confidence you know so i'm a positive person so is ali we work on ourselves a lot. You know, we did have a toolkit inside our minds to, to recover from that. You know, if this had happened 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had the same sort of personal development kit. The only thing to work on was just to be, literally to wake up with no, no plans for the day. Let's just roll. Let's just be there for each other. Kind of re resetting. And totally resetting. And, yeah. um, and it was during that period, Freddie, that we uh, bumped into as my daughter, it was during that period. Have you come across Natalie Sisson on your adventure? No. So she's a Kiwi girl and she wrote the book, The Suitcase Entrepreneur. Ellie bought that book and, and I read it and then she read it and it was like, wow, digital nomads, um, location independent, these sort of things started just infiltrating our psyche. We're both, you know, so I've, I've emigrated to New Zealand, I've done a bit of traveling as a single person and she's done a lot of traveling as a single person we hadn't done any traveling together uh, one trip to bali just before she became pregnant early in our relationship was all we'd done together so there was this sort of 
uh, traveling thing that both of us love but had not been part of our family life. And we read this book and with with no other options sort of manifesting themselves in, in life in New Zealand, it was like, we could do that. That would cut our expenses. We'd buy ourselves a lot more time to... I guess a bit that I'm missing out. So we weren't well off and we weren't in a we had to be we had to start making some different decisions about how we use what money we had left and we still had debts to, to fulfill. But as we sifted through the wreckage, the thing that uh, appealed to me that I couldn't let go of was although the business model had ruined us and the expectation of what we were trying to do had not manifest. We had proved to ourselves that we could scale something. We'd taken something that had systems, built systems, and turned it into a scalable model. And we had seen how people could get their credit card out and go online and pay while we were in bed. You know, that classic... Make money while you're sleeping. Make money while you sleep, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we weren't making money, we were losing money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah concept of obviously receiving money 24-7, we proved ourselves that can do. And I couldn't let go of that. And of course, that is when what other models are available to, to, to work online. And, you know, I looked into sort of Amazon FBA, fulfillment, those sorts of things where you didn't have to take on the logistics because it's the logistics that took all our money. It was paying the logistics company uh, having very thin margins in the products the fruit and veg didn't realize at the time we thought we were in the fruit and veg business but we weren't we were in the supermarket business and of course suddenly when you realize you're in the supermarket business those guys operate on very slim margins and massive quantity you know that's how supermarkets thrive and when you suddenly realise that your competitors are them and the pockets they've got, we were just trodden into the ground. You know, when you look at the Amazon FBA model, fulfilment by Amazon, and you see that sort of thing, and you realise that they take care of all the logistics, it's like, well, that's an interesting model, and, you know, drop shipping and those sorts of things. So I found myself investigating all of these things. And then, you know, uh, blogging, making money from blogging, affiliate marketing, we started to discover those sorts of things. And Passive income. Yeah, I mean, and none of them are passive listeners. No, exactly. None of them but, are yeah. passive. No, exactly. That's what they say, passive, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you have the goal to reduce the amount of work. Yeah, I think that's more what it is. You know, if you can find recurring revenue models and those sorts of things, and that's what we're trying to do right now, pursue those recurring revenue models. Those are now our future, you know, because we don't have property anymore. And, you know, so... Now, it took a while. We didn't have any online skills that were of significant value that we could go out to the marketplace. So I learned a bit about e-commerce on the journey, you know, how you can position yourself to sell online services. That has been the sort of learning curve of the last three years. And oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in that now, so I understand uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, we, we feel like, whether it's all coincidence and timing, but yeah, I, certainly I feel it's taken me three years to work out what not to do. But the more you sort of throw in, the harder it is to market, and, you know, that classic sort of niche down, niche down. And as we continued to sit through the wreckage, I'd written blogs for my website in the past, but, you know, I just wrote the articles and put them out there because I thought my clients, would find them of value. They were a way for me to start building content as a speaker. Ellie had been doing a similar thing. She had a website. She'd written some articles. She was contributing articles in the New Zealand press and a few were free, a few were paid. So both of us had done a little bit of this from a PR perspective when we had our coaching businesses. We hadn't joined the dots that we were bloggers or we, were, we had the ability to write and be paid. It was just more creating content to sort of boost our authority in our coaching environment but of course when we then were in this period of pressing reset and looking at the assets we still had available to us we were looking back at that content going well actually that starts to come into play as online content exactly if we understood how search engines worked and in and start to understand the more i learned i was like this is not snake oil this is actually how it works and We've got these blocks with content that no one sees because 
unless we send out a broadcast email up the mountain, no one's going to see it. Exactly. And and so we started going on this learning curve. We set out, we both came better at SEO. We understood what search engine optimization was. With Ellie's book and Ellie's content, we felt like she had more content that we could probably leverage. Is that kind of the fitness and all that sort of side that yeah. you're looking at? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and Ellie's a self-confessed, she's not a techie. She doesn't enjoy that side of things. But I have a systems background. So we sort of came to this sort of mutual understanding that I would spend some time in the first few months of our travel journey upskilling in the online world. You know, how does a website actually work? What does it take to be seen, etc.? And I felt I could give her site an overhaul. And like a platform for her to... A, a platform to relaunch her as an online coach. And that's really what we did. So I went off and just started working out how you do this. And to cut a long story short, we found a way to take some of the content that was just languishing in the doldrums of Google search and bring it up the search rankings until we eventually could get her on page one. And now we wow. can, you know, we, if you type in long-term fitness goals you will find ellie holding position one certainly position one two or three i mean it, it fluctuates you're never in you're yeah, never in yeah, the position yeah. for long wow amazing we're, we've got a couple of blog posts that are anchored to those key terms and we can plot you know when we st- started understanding what we were doing that post was invisible we, we nurtured it and got it up to the top of the rankings and that we protect quite a bit and um, once we knew how to do that we were like well repeat that yeah and do that for others it took a lot longer than three months for me to understand how we could do that and yeah exactly but once we sort of saw that kind of gave us some hope everything has taken longer because we've gone off and chased things and not realized that that was exactly. what you we never really be. know what you're going for either sometimes you know especially in the online world there's so much out there and so much slight changes that you know take you completely different paths correct and it's one thing getting content on page one but then you've got to monetize it you know so exactly (laughs) it's only one part of the equation but hopefully what your listeners will get a feel for is that it's a journey you know working out what you're going to do who you're going to do it for can you make money from it, et cetera, et cetera. And it's only now, which coincided with the time that we decided we would get out of Asia and into Europe, not for any other reasons. We just felt it was time. We had to up our game. COVID-19 thing is just completely coincidental. It was, yeah. <laughs> we were coming to Europe, but you know, we got here a bit earlier. But this has also coincided with a period where my skill set has meant that we could so we now have three websites and our assets that we are going to leverage to take us forward as a family. They're not a hobby. They are they are how we are going to earn money and look after ourselves in the future. We treat them as a business. If you look at my websites now, you'll see, you should see three professional-looking sites and someone who knows what they're doing, but that doesn't mean they're monetized. I'm like a graduate. I've just come out. I've got my degree, you know, but now I've got to go and get a job. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> exactly. and, and use my... That's kind of the way it is, isn't it? Yeah, and use my skills and knowledge as a mature student to go make money. And I guess that brings us to today. I talked earlier about uh, 10 days ago, I just launched straight into a live YouTube, a daily YouTube show. And just to put myself out there to... I've been holding back. I'm, I'm not a complete novice at this sort of thing, but I've been procrastinating because of this, that, and the other, new yeah, children. Yeah. And there's always a reason not to do yeah, things. Definitely. And <laughs> in, in my case, it's not that COVID-19 has given us, it definitely has given us a space to stay still, but it's more the evolution of these three websites being put together so we've had these three websites. But Natural we, timing. Yeah, so we've had these three websites, but they were all kind of built slightly differently. And I was like, this isn't working. This isn't working. I need to get all three sites on the same platform, with the Perfect. same plugin, yeah. with the same back end. This is my systems brain coming out. Yeah, exactly. And There's no point in having different 
systems with the same ones yeah. going to work so one of them is ali site one of them is our parenting site and the other one is the online marketing site and from a family perspective those those all crisscross you know we can kind yeah, of yeah exactly Ellie can be in health and fitness mode but every now and then it can cross over to our parenting sites she's now a freelance writer so she gets paid to do freelance writing amazing and now it's always health and fitness related her natural online evolution meant that she's got better SEO whether she liked it or not. She may not have the same technical skills in the SEO realm that I have, but she totally understands the SEO concepts. And when she's serving her freelance writing clients, she is so much more valuable to them now than the average writer. There you go. Yeah, makes sense. She can say, look, have you thought of this? Have you thought of that? And she's bringing all this SEO perspective that many writers might know about, but they don't know how to present it and let the client know that maybe they need to take a step back. So this is kind of all sort of dovetailed. So it now means that between the two of us, our knowledge base sort of crosses content creation, content optimization. And obviously, we're sort of telling our story of the location independent family as the sort of middle ground of how Ellie is an online health and fitness professional, me online, uh, done for you online marketing services. How does that dovetail into a, a location independent family unschooling? So there's this sort of crisscross of three blogs. Yeah. Going into that, how did you decide that you actually wanted to do this while traveling? Obviously, you could have done this when you were in New Zealand and just stayed in one spot. Why did you head out to Asia? in the end it comes back to that pressing the reset button and um, not knowing what we were going to do next we couldn't stay in ellie's family's clutches indefinitely we knew that they knew that no one was trying to make that happen but we had to decide what we were going to do next and we felt when we read that book by natalie sisson we felt well why don't we go to southeast asia and buy ourselves the time so yeah going back to your question it hadn't it would just it would just would have been more expensive in New Zealand. We would have had to maintain a New Zealand lifestyle, and neither of us were interested in in that. You know, the, the burnout was very real for us. We needed to change the scenery. The reset was a long period, and so it went through different phases. But you know, buying one way tickets to Southeast Asia allowed us to, you know, when when things go wrong, you can collapse into this bubble especially when you're surrounded by all your friends who are still doing exactly the same thing and you're not in a position to keep doing that. But when you go to Southeast Asia, it doesn't matter where you go. If When you go to a different environment, you can sort of have a blank slate and you can recreate your friends and you can go at the pace that suits you. And that's really what we did. You know, co-working spaces were a new concept and we just threw ourselves into those sorts of things. And cool. and. When you're in a new culture, as it was for us, it ended up being Malaysia for us. We, we oh, camped cool. out in Malaysia for 10 months. We rented an apartment, discovered what it was like to live in an apartment, and we were just like sold. Wow, our life is so much more simpler, freer, easier. We, you know, we, our daughter learned to swim when she was three and a half just because she could. And we were sort of upskilling in the background, you know, still dealing with the past. You know, we had bills to pay and people, you know, wondering what had happened to us. We never running from anything. It's just taken us time to wrap up this loose end, followed by this loose end. And meanwhile, we're trying to work out what we're going to do next. And I'm not going to pretend it was easy. I'm not going to pretend it was fun all the time. But being in Southeast Asia allowed us to recover. Whereas if we'd been in New Zealand, we wouldn't have discovered that there was a new world out there waiting for us. Uh, we needed a change of scenery. So, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that until you asked the question. That was an important part of the recovery, was giving ourselves a change of scenery. Now, it could have been anywhere. We fell in love with Southeast Asia and we found the more we learned about location independence and digital nomad families, we just evolved into that. We didn't follow anyone in particular. We just evolved into it. We sort of pride ourselves we're slow travellers, Freddie. Yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more of that. We don't clock up the countries. We've never had an interest in just stamping the passport. It was all about how can we immerse ourselves into a new culture. And so, yeah, we've only, France is only, I think, my daughter's 10th country, including New Zealand, in three years. So there's not been a lot of countries. But as you said, it's more about getting to know the culture, the people, you know, where you're 
settling down a bit more rather than we end up immersing ourselves into a malaysian lifestyle we end up immersing ourselves into a barley lifestyle a vietnamese lifestyle and then the, as you'll know the bits in between for you know location independent listeners the bits in between are like visa runs and just you know working out how you're going to get from a to b you know how you're going to move from malaysian life to thailand life sort of thing and, yeah um, yeah and, that, and that's you know so i would say half of our journey has been in just maybe three or four long-term places and then the rest has been oh, just okay. filling in, wow filling in the gaps yeah fair. but europe's going to be a whole different ball game oh absolutely not sure how that's going to work out and obviously the, the changing circumstances have thrown everything up in the air anyway so what was your plan when you came to europe did you have any Well, we're both very drawn to experiencing Eastern Europe, you know, places like Bulgaria, Georgia, Mm -hmm. and and places that were behind the Iron Curtain when I was growing up, you know, Albania, that a lot of those countries. Love to get over to that side. There's like a little kid in me that's like, wow, you know, those are countries that had a mystique. Yeah, I'm not so much drawn to the France and the Spain and the, not because i've got anything against them but just growing up they were just on my doorstep and for me i like i feel the similar it's those ones that everyone talks about you know what i mean like uk france but and that's like okay like obviously i went to france when i was 16 but what i beyond that it was like i want to go somewhere different like i don't know the places people don't talk about or you know like i did a working holiday in sweden people like why are you going there because why not? And like, but like, have you ever been there? Well, no. Well, like, that just made me want to go more. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah <laughs> when yeah. people just looked at you strangely for wanting to go, it's like, all right, well, let's do it then. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, we're blessed to live in these times. So put COVID nineteen aside. Exactly. Put that aside, <laughs> we are blessed to live in these times where you know you can. Uh, you know, well, we have no intention of being permanent residents in any particular country. We're not trying to, you know, we're proud New Zealand citizens. Even though we don't have a home there, we still call it home. We know that we could go back there and start again. If our mindset was right, we could go back and, and, and go start again. We couldn't. We couldn't three years ago because our mindset was just trashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we could go back now and start all over again. And neither of us wants to right now, but we could. Whereas yeah, in the first, exactly. first two to three years, it was like there'd have been a resistance, a resistance, a resistance. And I guess that, uh, there was a second child that came into the mix during yes, those first yes, three yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. And that was an interesting period because we both had to have a conversation with each other around, well, is this changing anything? And we fell pregnant about 18 months in. We just booked to go to a conference for world schooling families and we knew that would be an amazing oh, opportunity wow. to network yeah. with other families like us and learn physically get to know them. And that was exciting. And then we worked out that the conference was going to be when Ellie was like 36 weeks pregnant. So forgive me, I might, I might have got the number wrong. but That's it was okay. Like, That's and, okay. Close, it was, close. I don't, I don't <laughs> know, but it was close to the bit like this is like the maximum we need to get back. We need to understand where we're going to have the baby. Yeah, exactly. And we did investigate having the baby in Southeast Asia, but we wanted a home birth and we wanted a natural okay. birth. Our first yeah. daughter had been born in that had been born in a house in a in a natural water birth, and it was a magical experience. And we wanted that again. And we found that we could do it in Southeast Asia, but it would have been sort of underground and there would have been some risks and there was a medical risk that we had to factor in for Ellie and we could have pulled it off but we would have had to pay for it and then for the same amount of money we could go back to New Zealand and be supported by the medical services and having family around so we, we decided we would go back to New Zealand and have the birth but there's a second part of that and that is well you know we were still struggling to make our online location independent sustainable and work but we'd scored enough runs that neither of us were willing to give it up we felt like we were just getting into our stride we were just starting to understand how yes. to put the pieces together we knew we still had to invest more before it was going to be sustainable and neither of us wanted to give up you know that stubbornness about making it work you know was still there and that and that belief that we could 
to make it work was still there. So we said to ourselves, well, we'll go back to New Zealand and have the baby. Our rational brains at the time were going, as long as the baby's healthy, we're going to continue this, this lifestyle. We're going to go yeah. back on the road, mm -hmm. back to Southeast yeah. Asia, keep the cost down, keep investing in ourselves until we can make this work. But we also made the promise that if Ellie felt uh, hormones change when the baby yeah, was yeah, out, yeah. Um, she, and she yeah. felt differently, we would not hold each other. You know, we won't. We wouldn't say something like, "Well, you said back then that we were going to do this." You know, that that was. You know, it was like, "No, a baby's going to change things, and we need to roll with how that unfolds exactly. naturally." Yeah. But what happened was the baby came out, the baby was healthy, and Ellie's just absolutely amazing. She embraces the minimalism more than I do. We've got a playlist on YouTube of our downsizing journey. It's like it turned into a 10-part playlist of, of how we took that. While we were in New Zealand, while she was pregnant and the baby coming into the world, how we downsized and got rid of everything else. So even though we weren't 100% sure that we would go back on the road again, we were kind of forcing our hand. We yeah, were selling yeah, off yeah. stuff. We were getting rid of everything we hadn't got rid of. We called it round two. You know, during the burnout stage, we got rid of a lot. But then it was like, well, what, what didn't we get rid of? As we opened up the container after being away for 18 months, two years, and we're like, what are we doing with all this, the rest of, the rest of this stuff? And we just continued the clean. It was like a continuation of the cleansing process. Of <laughs> yes. Less, I, I less, 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 less. And then the baby came out and we're like, no, well, you know, we are light as and we've shredded it. You know, everything we didn't have the energy to do first time around, we did second time around. And we got rid of all the paperwork and just got rid of all the little stuff, you know, the, the sort of drawers full of paper clips and all those things you hung on to and hung on to because oh, I might need this one day. And, we, you know, if you watch the playlist, you'll see like how we just get rid of everything. You know, whilst we were traveling with, uh, you know, two check bags and three carry-ons. We had the container back in New Zealand, sort of. We still felt light, but it was still back in New Zealand, paying yeah, yeah. for paying for storage. Now we don't have that storage. We don't we don't Amazing. pay for that storage. We don't have any of that stuff. You, we feel really light as a family. We feel very streamlined and incredible. So I guess yeah, that, that kind of wraps up the chapter. Here we are now with yeah. we graduated from our uh, online marketing university and come to a new continent Perfect. Um, is it, it literally is a brand new chapter yeah definitely and our second one is 15 months old now she's really i mean she's really coming into her own as a little person and and how do they find being in different different countries the two girls they're yeah, just both of them uh, obviously the, the the 15 month old doesn't know any different she just gets brought around and and yeah and <laughs> But the the older one, but you know, every now and then we check in with her. You know, do you want to go to school? You know, do you want to stop traveling? And she's like, no, I'm a, I want to do this. I love it. You know, um, and Incredible. you know, she's 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 growing into it, and don't see any signs that she wants to stop. And obviously, Europe. I mean, Europe. We don't know how it's going to unfold. And with as I said, COVID nineteen on top of that, but yeah, <laughs> it's certainly as restrictions ease, we will be a family that takes advantage of them. You know, we're we're not tied to anything. So exactly, if we find one country eases its restrictions and we can go there for three months, then you know that'll guide us. I mean, that's how we've travelled. We've always been um, where we've gone has always been dictated by what what, what sort of um, visas can we get. You know, who's going to give for us sure. the longest visa? Could we rent an apartment or a house or? you know, a long-term Airbnb or whatever yeah, exactly. and feel comfortable. Is there a co-working environment? You know, are there coffee shops and good internet that we could take advantage of? And that's all we'll carry on doing. And, and I think in Europe it would be easier. So COVID-19 aside, the infrastructure seems to be stronger here in Europe. And whilst Eastern Europe has a mystique, it's not a developing country. It's just it's, it was always behind. The Eastern European countries are well-developed. They've got exactly. infrastructure. It was just, yeah, they were just behind an iron curtain for, for, for a Definitely. long while. Definitely. But, you know, so a bit like you and your Sweden, Scandinavia trip, we feel like as long as we can get to a country that's got infrastructure, it's going to be way better than Southeast Asia in terms of infrastructure. 
it's just going to be an, just a new culture. But as long as we can exactly. get online, we potentially can survive. And the work doesn't change too much. No, you know, we're starting to get known for what we're doing now. And we're just, you know, we're slowly picking up more work. And but also this period coincides with we don't have as many distractions. We're not dealing yeah, with the exactly. past like we were at the beginning. We're not dealing with, well, what should we do next? Because we've worked out what we're not going to do. I'll never say we've got a handle on parenting because that, is always changing. Yes. Um, and, and, and the girls are constantly evolving and moving into new chapters and periods themselves, and we need to be present for that and aware of that. But I guess, you know, three years on, Freddie, for anyone listening, we are so excited about the future of being a traveling family. For us, it's, there's not a house to go back to. We are committed to the lifestyle. We thrive on packing up our bag and living out of just a bag. I mean, even now, it's lovely to have this house to be spread out in during this time of confinement. But already I'm like, where is all my stuff? Where, you know, I want to put it back in the bag and make sure it's, I haven't forgotten anything. You yeah. know, <laughs> because you're going to have to leave at some point. Sometimes it's an easier having a small space. but I agree, know. I agree. I mean, certainly, you know, definitely pluses of being here in this environment. But, you know, we see Europe as a continent that we'll engage with for several years. And then when the girls are a bit older, we would love to go to South America, you know. Yeah, definitely. Take on the Americas. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got a long-standing love affair with the North America, but I've never been to Central or South. Ellie has, but only sort of fleetingly. Yeah, can't wait to get back and explore it more. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I would love to dive into your story at some point. So maybe I'll yeah, get you. Definitely. When I get my podcast up and running, I'll get you on the show. Absolutely, you, yeah. You, 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 awesome. Yeah, so. Well, thank you for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to hear where you guys go and how everything pans out after this, especially with the COVID on top of everything. Uh, <laughs> Watch this space. Where can people find you if they would like to reach out or follow your journey or see any of the stuff that you've been talking about? Cool. So if you if you head off to parentingpassportsandprofits.com, you'll discover Ellie, myself, and the children, and then you can link out to anything else. And there's Instagram, Facebook page, and YouTube are the main places that we hang out. Uh, so, yeah, uh, and I'll make sure you've got those links. Yeah, uh, yeah when, perfect. When I'll you, put them all in the show notes. To publish. Cool. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Freddie. I appreciate it. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Don't forget to subscribe on my Facebook, Instagram, all that jazz, Curious Emu, wherever you look. And we'll see you next time in a couple of weeks. All righty, guys. Remember, stay curious. <laughs>